Welcome everybody to a quality podcast. We are excited to have as our guest today Octavio Salas. Octavio is from Guadalajara, Jalisco, in Mexico. And Octavio, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? I was born in Durango, Durango, Mexico. I moved to Guadalajara to find better job opportunities. Right now I'm working in the candy industry. Uh, I'm a biochemical engineer and I have uh, lots of experience in the, in the food industry, mostly brewing, beer brewing and stuff. And it's where I, I've learned a lot about the quality management system and, and lean, lean manufacturing system. Fantastic. Uh, I'm, I'm working in right now but I'm open to work anywhere. In the candy, <clears throat> candy world in Mexico, how much tahine do you go through on a daily basis? <laughs> how much candy do I eat? Oh. Uh-huh. The first days I, I ate like, like a pound or, or, or so, but uh, you get tired after a little bit. So. Yeah, the only way to check for quality in the candy industry is to eat a lot of candy, right? So... Uh, of course. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. So, I was like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll bet. So the uh, quality control industry in food and beverage, right, uh, has a little bit of a different flavor to me. You know, if I'm manufacturing computers and we miss something in quality, um, we have some upset customers, but nobody dies, right? So. I imagine the food industry is a little stricter. Yeah, of course. It's uh, it's always connected to the food safety system. So there's a lot of certifications to be allowed to to make uh, food and uh, export food, for example. The plant where I am working is where the pulparindo is made. So maybe you know the, the brand. It's a, it's a tamarind candy. So mm-hmm. we have to go through a lot of certifications to to be able to export to, to any country and can be really strict, but it's of course to be safe. Sure, yeah. So you were telling us that you're involved in a project currently around SOPs. It sounded really interesting. And so I was excited to talk about it in this podcast. Tell us a little bit more about that. Well, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's been going for a couple of months, that kind of uh, change of the, of the guard. Of the of the management of the company, and one of the first things that that has come to the attention is that the SOPs are either old and need an update, or are not really within within touch of the of the operator. So we're starting to by first, you know, recognizing the the shop floor experts on the on the subject that uh, for a long time have been kind of ignored. So we go to the field, uh, it's me and a couple of other engineers, and we go there and try to, to extract their, their, their experience. They have so much knowledge and it's, 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 a, it's a wealth of, of wisdom. So we, we try to use that 
to make the SOPs as updated and, and as useful for them as possible, and not only for them, but for the new generations of, of operators. So that, that's mostly what we are working on right now, because it's been, it's, it was kind of a hazy subject in the company, but also talking with the, with the experts, we're trying to make a little bit, their life have a little bit easier with a bit projects like uh, having having their raw materials a little bit closer that that sort of thing for the for the lean environment yeah why do you but say most, we talk a, we talk quite a bit about like how rare that is why do you think that that's not the first thing companies do when they want to engage with their team is go where the work is speak with the experts why do you think that is it is weird it's in in a way it's because the there's still the prevalent uh, like boss man attitude. Like I know everything attitude from from the from the leaders. Well, the bosses, and that um, servant leader uh, approach. It's just new and it's hard to 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 get for a lot of a lot of people. So they tend to kind of belittle the 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 little people, the people who actually does the work. They come up and they I will I know more than you. But of course, you might know the the books and of course and everything. But the actual work is well, you don't know anything compared to the operator. So it's a little bit of, of needing more humility to to be able to approach to to people. Well, there is a lot to unpack there, and I'm full of questions. I'm really excited um, about this. So. For starters, you said new management came in, right? So there's a, a red flag that tends go up. Anytime there's a change in leadership, we expect there to be uh, something new. And this group decided to focus on standard operating procedures. Um, why was that? Did they share their decision making with the with the team? Mostly because there is a lot of. Uh, quality defects, small quality defects and, and rework. So one of the first things that come up when, when you try to make a, like a, an investigation, a, a root cause analysis, you realize that people don't have a book or a standard to, to compare themselves to. So that's where the, where the red flag was, was seen. So that's why, why it became a priority to, to update SOPs and to make them um, at hand to the operator. I like that, uh, like that two-pronged approach that you mentioned. Having standard operating procedures documented is important, but so is accessibility. If the employees can't access the document, then they really can't use it either. I had a really interesting situation several years ago. I was working with a very large um, telecom company in the United States, cell phone company, and uh, which I won't name, but our operators would pick, pack, and ship the phones for this uh, company and ship them out. And we had some pretty good documentation and the documents were printed on 11 by 17 laminated paper and they were hanging on a board in the work area. 
but the employees didn't use them and there were a lot of defects. And when I went out to investigate, the reason was really simple. The way we had designed the work, the employees had to work with two hands all the time. And if you're working with two mm -hmm. hands, it's very difficult to thumb through a standard work document. And in this case, the size of the paper was too large. It wouldn't fit on their workstation. And it was very awkward watching someone try to use it. So in that case, we actually printed the instructions on some foam board and set them up behind the workstation so they could just look at them while they were working with two hands. And in that way, they were able to access oh. the documents. Um, but that's a really important point. You know, I've, I've seen that time and again where companies I have worked for have actually created really good documentation, done it right, got the employee's input, and then the documents are stored on a computer on a hard drive and the employees don't have access to a computer or some other accessibility issue. Of course, that, that's basically the point where we're in. Like There is some document, a little bit old, but the operators don't have any access to a computer. They are in, a, in the computer system on the server and they don't have access to them at all. And it's funny what you mentioned about the, the book because that's basically our plan. So maybe we have to, to use it at first and let, let it check out any, well, if it's even hard to, to use it when we have it in, in like, a, like a book, like this size uh, sheets because maybe the same can happen to us that they don't use the, the SOPs because, well, they're hard to, to read or to use while they're actually working. Well, that'll be interesting. I, I can't wait to hear more about how that works out for you. I come from in my previous life where we had scuba suits, this third party customer that sent us back scuba suits and two ladies that have been in the back processing them for the past 20 years their job was pull out each one, look at it top to bottom, and there was a detailed list of like 30 quality aspects that had to be right for you to repackage this for either resale or just cut it up and throw it in the trash. And sure enough, what the site started doing was uh, to rotate people and knowledge. They would just insert new employees into there. And there was no formalized mm -hmm. training. There was no standard. There was no paper document you could go find for what to do. And sure enough, we started chipping scuba diving gear that was you know, not fit for going underwater. And shortly after that, what we decided was not only the book, which the foam board is a, is a fantastic solution. We went a little different route and we had a digital solution where you enter the SKU and it creates a subset of questions. Yes, no questions, things to look for, things you got to verify to go through it. And then at the end, it makes the determination for you based on your answers. So then as you introduce people into the process, you have this visual tool you're obligated to go through that gets you the outcome you're looking for, basically. And what's really cool nowadays, Jake, is that creating something like that is a piece of cake. We're not going to tell you how on this video because we're going to tell you how on a different video and charge you money for it. But it's it's a solution that... Uh... <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, the proliferation of inexpensive digital tools provides a new level of creativity to serve the employee. And for me, the barrier that I've 
encountered the most is not technological, it's not tools, it's not money, um, it's people, mostly management. So I feel like if we as leaders in operations care about people and have a desire to remove the barriers to success so that our employees can hit a home run as frequently as possible, that some of those creative ideas will just happen. We'll make them happen for the employees. But if our mindset is somewhere else, especially self-protectionism, which is a big issue, at least in America, among managers, we're not thinking about the value creation process and the employees that create value. We're thinking about something else and it creates a mental block where we're just not receptive to the creativity that could be spontaneous to solve these problems. Yeah, of course, the uh, self-protectionism is, is kind of common too. Like, uh, like management tends to think uh, about themselves and how they can shine, maybe, but not, of course, not what actually happens in the in the shop floor. And it it is it is pretty common, really. Uh, right now, I, I also in my position, I also have to deal with uh, the projects like you know, new equipment uh, and the like. And uh, I have had a couple of arguments with, with the project manager because they kind of just care to, you know, you know, take take the, the equipment and, and that's it. My job is done. But I have to like stop them like, okay, wait a minute. Does this actually serve the operator or, or you're just trying to get rid of it? And, and it, it becomes a little bit of a a friction between between them and I because yeah I kind of feel like they they just want to you know move on now okay put this real expensive machine and it's like oh super cool but the operators have really a lot of trouble trying to make it work in the right way for them so I, I've kind of had to argue with them so they well they put themselves in the shoes of the operators Yeah. yeah, absolutely. In my previous life, one of my machine shops was a vinyl saw. And a vinyl saw took a big, long, 17, 20-foot strip of vinyl and would cut designated spots that would ultimately make windows. And mm -hmm. on the vinyl, the side where you feed in the vinyl has a machine guard. That's so if that saw blade ever kicks back, there's ever a defect, the employee is not physically within the area of you know, where that saw could hurt them. Well, during one of our executive tours, One of our executives saw how the employee kind of has to bend to go over the machine guard and put the vinyl in. It's like, well, why don't you just have him operate from the other side of this all instead? And even though it circumvented the guard, it circumvented the way the machine was designed, all of the leadership team local was, uh, was pretty much like, you need to either do this or come up with a really good reason why you can't circumvent safety. All because one leader suggested it with no concept of how the machine actually worked and that, that's always surprised yeah of course it happens well i like to use a metaphor when we talk about using new machines in the work area do you remember the first car that you drove yeah of course so uh, i remember learning how to drive in my dad's 1981 
Volvo 240 station wagon with a manual transmission. And at some point I got my own car and it was a Toyota Tercel uh, automatic transmission. So it was much smaller, much lighter. Um, and it was an automatic and all of the controls were in different places because I went from a much older European car to a newer Japanese car. And that transition, I had to learn how to drive the new car. I knew how to drive, but it was actually dangerous as a teenager to get in that new car without being oriented to it and trained to it. Now, imagine if instead of a Tercel, which, you know, has three horsepower, um, I had been given a Ferrari, right? So the more powerful or dangerous or significant the change, uh, the more important the training is. And if you can remember how you felt the first time you switched cars, that can help you with the empathy for employees when we introduce new machinery and tools for them. Even if they've used something similar, there's still a little bit of hesitation and fear that they're going to experience naturally as part of being human. So you learning to like for a new machine. And that's a little bit hard to grasp to for some management management people. Yeah, and some of the project implementation I think is um, backwards. So I remember a project from my career in the past where an engineer spoke with a sales representative from a packaging company. And this packaging company wanted to replace our custom boxes that we ordered from a manufacturer with a machine that would cut boxes to size as you needed them. And the sales pitch made sense and the math worked. And so this company bought this machine and installed it. And the punchline is that three months later, they uninstalled it and went back to the old method. But what happened in between was the machine didn't actually serve the employees doing the work and introduced new failure modes into the process and new resource drains and constraints that hadn't been there previously. And none of that was considered. The straw that broke the camel's back was uh, running out of the cardboard inputs that this machine used to make boxes. And it shut the entire facility down. Whereas with the previous solution, not only did we have um, safety stock in uh, a numerical quantity, such as 100 boxes, as opposed to safety stock that's in inches because it's cardboard coming off a roll. You know, how many boxes can you make with a thousand inches of cardboard? I don't know. It depends on the size of the box and how much gets thrown away, right? So the safety stock was easier to understand. The reorder point was easier to understand. Um, but also we could just go to Staples and buy more boxes because we were using a standard size box, right? And so when we ran out of this um, 
cardboard input for this machine and had to go to Office Depot or wherever we went and buy a bunch of pre-made boxes, that's when management realized that, you know, the solution hadn't been thought through in terms of the value stream and the process and the people doing the work. Now, a contributing factor was the employees didn't want to use it and nobody had asked for their input or opinion and they saw it as management is making us do this. And whenever you have that, people just resist the change and you'll have folks that they won't actively sort of sabotage what you're doing, but they'll make sure that their work is just poor enough that everyone gets the message, right? And that's what was happening here. A little bit of a dragging your heels protest and that didn't, didn't help as well. And I feel like that entire project could have been successful if it had started with, let's go talk to the people that package what we ship and ask them where their pain points are. And if their pain point includes erecting these boxes and using excessive void fill because the boxes aren't the right size for what we're shipping, then we can introduce this as a possible solution and get buy-in and the team will make it work because it's their idea to their pain point that they shared, right? You said it as a solution for their, for their everyday problem. Of course. It's a different approach, like first asking the, well, the interested parties. And it, it, it happens where I work pretty much the same. There's a new machine, but no, what, nobody really asked the operation. If they wanted something like that, it was, it's a really, real cool machine. Actually, it's really automatic and uh, in theory, it will facilitate a lot of, of, of work, but at the same time, mm, creates new problems, right? And so people are just, don't want to get near it. Uh, we're kind of stuck there right now. So what kinds of uh, pushback are you getting from employees? Mostly. The, oh, I have so much work, regular stuff, but I like like in this uh, specific project about the, this, this it's a it's a cooker, it's a cooker. They have a lot of cookers for cooking the the soft caramel, like soft candy. The previous the machines they're used to use are really manual, like they have to touch buttons and levers and stuff. This is a new automatic solution, but at the, at the end of the day. This new automatic solution kind of makes you have to clean everything up from the start after after a days after a change flavor, for example. So it, it it creates a new need of more work because you have to clean everything between between cleaning. So they they don't see the the benefit because well they yeah they are not weighing and carrying like sacks of sugar and stuff. At the end of the day, they will still be making more work for it. So it's kind of, you have to, well, you stop doing this, but you have to convince them of, of the benefits. And at the same time, like, since they really never, were never approached, well, they don't, they're not uh, like interested. They're not engaged to the, to the new idea. New idea. They, the project management just came, hey, I got this new machine for you, use it. And they're just like, why? Why, 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 why will I use this machine that makes me work? 
So it's kind of the pushback that, that we're feeling, like trying to convince people of, of the advantages or something. And it's that project, and it's in, in several ways, right? Like, like um, there, the shop floor attitude was like, uh, we produce, 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 produce. We, we don't have much of a program, just make candy, candy, candy. And the new management is trying to, well, you know, make a schedule, you know, make a schedule and, and you'll have a little bit more time to, you know, make maintenance and, and stuff. So we had the pushback because people were used to pay, were used to being paid by the, kind of by the pound, by the pound of candy produced. So that's why they never wanted to stop. So now we have the pushback of, well, we have to plan it out so that we have more quality in, in our product and more uh, time to give maintenance to our equipment and have less stops. So it's kind of a shift in, in a shift in, in attitude and in mentality. And now a brief word from our sponsor. Estás cansado de tu jefe de mierda. Estás buscando formas de ganar en el trabajo y pasar de todos los meseras con los que tienes que trabajar. No busque más. Tenemos tu solución aquí mismo. El libro más interesante del mundo. And we're back. So a shifted mentality, um, a new way of doing business for the team, new machines. This is a lot of change and change management. Um, one thing that I've noticed is there are different people and groups within an operation that have different priorities. And part of this is intentional. If you have an accountant they're responsible for money and that's what they're worried about. A chief financial officer is looking to meet hurdle rate and other financial metrics um, and so on and so forth. And these things are all good. You have to have these different focuses and dividing them up is good as well because I might be really good at running an operation and not so good with accounting or marketing or you name it, right? So you have different priorities and different people. And where I think some companies have an issue, have a challenge, have an opportunity for improvement, is that the group that is supposed to be facilitating between the different departments should actually be operations, should be the people that are directly responsible for the value creation process. That's the team that should be facilitating not just change, but communication between the groups and reaching multiple objectives for the company. At the end of the day, you have to make your product or service and sell it in order to make money and stay in business. And that comes back to leadership. So my example of the automatic carton making machine, the accountant who worked with the engineers for this other company to decide that this was a good financial move for the company, they weren't wrong. And the employees who really didn't like it because they thought it made their life miserable, they weren't wrong either. 
the challenge the company faced was in the implementation, lacking leadership that could coordinate between the different groups and exercise leadership. So Jake, you and I just talked last week about leadership being a process of social influence whereby a person can get others to aid and support the accomplishment of a common task. So in my example, the common task would be implementing this new machine. In order for that to work effectively, the leader has to start with, how can I influence these guys to make this a common task? They haven't even accepted that yet. They haven't accepted, okay, this is a good idea, we should do this, right? Because nobody demonstrated the benefits. Nobody sold it to them based on real needs that they have. So that's been my experience, and I think both of you have probably had similar experiences where change is necessary, but we lack the leadership to effectively uh, sort of get it done. Yeah, absolutely. I've worked warehouse, mind you, third-party logistics. Everybody, it's just a human moving freight. Okay, we don't own anything. There's no machinery. There's no complex stuff. You are humans moving freight. In different areas of the warehouse, you get different kinds that are handled different ways. And non-union environments, 24/7, a little bit of chaos. And it was almost expressly banned for you to cross-train an employee. If you were to think of, you would imagine just how diverged from reality this management structure had to be. Um, it was it was pretty much prohibited. Like, now nah, you're kind of taking that guy's job by doing this. <laughs> and you would imagine because of that, you have you get the exact outcomes you engineered, where guy A doesn't know what guy B is doing, and the shortcut that makes guys A's life better makes guy C's life a living hell. <laughs> Nobody cares because they don't even know each other's roles. Yeah, of course. Yeah. The, like working in silos, no? Right? Everyone on its own, and well, someone has to coordinate the the whole operation, and it it, it happens. Of course, it happens. That. Octavio, when you're not making candy, what else are you up to? Not much <laughs> right now. I'm I'm right. I have a few months. Uh, I've been living a few months here in Guadalajara, so I'm kind of exploring. I'm in, I'm in the exploring process right now of the of the city. So I read a lot about uh, well, like a lot of about lean manufacturing. I'm doing an MBA on uh, quality and productivity. Uh, hopefully get a, a green belt certificate for Lean Six Sigma. So right now I'm kind of keeping myself a little bit busy with with life, trying to relax when it's when it's needed to. So, well, having fun. I, I like the sound of that. Now for the audience that may not know, Mr. Octavio translated my book into Spanish, mm. Chasing Excellence, Perseguiendo la Excelencia. And so one, thank you very much for that. I want the whole world to be aware of it. His name is on the front until it was translated by. But also that was an interesting journey because we had to create some words and phrases that didn't necessarily exist in Spanish at the time. Yeah, of course, that was kind of interesting. Yeah, it, what was it, the, the golden mean, I think? Uh, the golden gold mean was the, was the most, the, the gold standard, of, of course, 
it was like, uh, how do I translate this? And everyone knows what I'm talking about. So I had to go to LinkedIn and ask a few colleagues. And it was actually Jake who, who suggested the, the term that we actually used in the book. I say, oh, he's asking me to translate, but actually translated better than me. <laughs> it was interesting. Yeah, a little bit of Spanish from a lifetime in Texas. I've never been more, but just right on the other side of the border my whole life. So I've yeah, always worked yeah, the, yeah. I can speak some Spanish as well. Um, only curse words, but, you know. <laughs> I can order at lunch. If you need me to order, I'm your guy. I can tell you anything you want off the menu. Yo quiero pagar la cuenta. <laughs> oh, that's very good. That's very good. <laughs> an, an interesting study that I think you could relate to really well. I was talking with John when this was live, but I created a customized solution in one of our warehouses that solved a problem for some associates. And we were just benchmarking the productivity gain by doing this much needed upgrade that employees wanted to see. And one of the things that the employee suggested was, well, can't we just get this in Spanish? And our whole program is only in English period and 100% of the workforce is Spanish speaking only. Not 90, not 95%, 100% of the workforce is Spanish speaking only. So when I went back through and I made the very same simple menus in Spanish, we immediately 20, 25% faster because people could touch, look at it and actually understand, hey, when this says guardar, what do I need to go do? When it says Puliando, I'm going and pick and pray. And just that simple change was very robust solution. Yeah, of course. Well, you have to know your, your audience, as they say. But it was a, it was a pleasure to, to translate the, the, the book. And I learned a lot reading it, actually. What happened, John? It was yeah, a, it, really a pleasure. Because there was a couple of chapters that everybody's feedback is, this is just wild. It is, it is really a great experience. Specifically, specifically what? <laughs> Especially aliens, because there's a chapter that has aliens in it. And I imagine, you know, translating that. Oh, yeah. That was <laughs> it was like uh, the, the crab people and the giraffe people. And the, it was that, right? Uh -huh. Yeah, and it was like, I translate this. So I, I make like uh, a little bit of a SpongeBob reference there in Spanish. <laughs> What I liked about that chapter was it, not just the creativity, but it, to me, it was a really good example of how somebody can be put into a new situation and not have any knowledge of it, an alien situation, and still be successful. And there are specific tools outlined in Chasing Excellence for dealing with being put in a new situation. So... It's funny to me when you look at recruiting in business, you'll have an ad that says, you know, we're looking for somebody with three to five years of experience and, you know, is, um, has a master's degree, is multilingual and owns a small charity and it's an entry-level position, you know, and I just laugh because, haha, you know, like that doesn't exist, right? People can be scared to take the next step because they don't know what's coming, right? This is one reason I encourage people, know yourself, be comfortable with your strengths, know your weaknesses, and then you can handle pretty much anything. But there are also some specific skills that you can learn that will help you 
when you're thrust into a new situation and you can still be successful. So for me, that was one of the best chapters in the book because I haven't um, experienced a lot of people that understand succeeding in a new environment is a learned skill. There are things you can do to be successful even though you don't know anything about the situation you're in yet. So very helpful. It was, uh, it is a really, really interesting skill, like really interesting chapter. And uh, as I said, I learned a lot from, from reading it. And I was only reading it while I was translating it. And it was, it was a great, great experience. Yeah. Yeah, and you accomplished that fast, man. I think in, in like the space of three weeks, he had translated fully in Spanish and well. Like I went back through it. I had two colleagues read it, like proofread for errors. And like it was translated very, very well. I didn't do anything but slap my name back on put it back in the world. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy and it was proofread because I only proofread like half the time. But I wasn't able to like get all the, all the nitpicks and, and stuff. But yeah, I'm, even glad, the, I'm glad it was. Yeah, even the questions at the end of the chapters where I'm asking like trying to touch a specific point. You, you communicated that really well in Spanish, really, really well. Yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad it was it was successful. Just to kind of loop back, you're in a really interesting spot. Uh, fresh management. They were concerned with the number of quality defects and through the root cause analysis process, realized that standard work didn't really exist because the documents didn't really exist or weren't accessible or weren't updated. So now we're you know, working on that. At the same time, we're introducing a new machine. There's some uh, change management and conflict over that. Uh, do you feel like the situation is currently manageable and going well? What, what's your assessment of the current state? Right now, I feel like change is, is like going through, like uh, we're, we're started to make a real difference in the company and I hope we I hope we can maintain the the attitude and, and the and the speed up to it because it, it's starting to look really really well I mean, like the the change in the culture of, of people. Uh, That's so I'm That's awesome. Optimistic so, about the situation. Yeah. Good. Um so going through this, always a challenge for everybody. If you had to do it over again, what are some, or, you know, if I'm going to do the same thing shortly, what's some advice you would give to me? Some things you might do differently or add or subtract? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe a little bit of trying to know the process a little bit more before we go all the way, all the way through to, to the SOPs. Maybe that make, can make the, the situation a little bit easier going forward because we like we approached like uh, right to the operator, and maybe we had to learn at the same time that well learn the process at the same time that we're trying to understand the the experience of, of the man the man in, in the trenches as they say. So having a, maybe a little bit more time to actually analyze the whole process before you try to go and make the SOP, it can, can help a lot. I mean, a little bit of planning time, learning and planning time, but we're still learning. That's, that's really good advice. 
uh, it reminds me there's a interplay. It's like a recursive algorithm between what people are doing every day and what the standard is and should be, right? So you'll have a standard. This is how things should be done. And then you have people doing this, right? And then you find out what this person's doing over here is actually better. The standard should be here, right? So if you start here, <laughs> I thought we were making doing the Macarena or something. <laughs> no, but you're you're raising a good point. Continue. Uh, well, yeah, so if you start with, because I've done this before and I've seen it done before, but if you start with, you know, here's how the process should be, and you're not on the floor actually working with the employees, you're just going to be wrong. You're just going to be off here. But on the other hand, if you go talk to an employee, especially just one employee, and you write down what they're doing, you say, this should be the standard, you're going to be just as wrong, right? So there's like an interplay between the two where you talk to employees and, you know, you should get their um, feedback and input and, you know, what are they actually doing and document that. But that's probably not going to be your standard. And especially if you can watch... Uh, people of different physical sizes on different shifts under different leaders, you'll get some slightly different way of doing things. Um, and then you can, from there, start to understand what the real standard should be. But you can't, uh, you can't just engineer a standard over here and say, this is how it should be. This is how we should create value. But you also can't just talk to the employees and write down what they're doing because you know that's probably not right either. Yeah, of course, of course. You have you have to need a you need a basis of uh, how where what you have to do and kind of interplay with the with what actually happens on the on the shop floor. We're right right now. We are working with the I and D R and D R and D is in English R and D team because they have like the well like the standard or the or the actual process needs uh like scientifically because it's food food science can design and we kind of have have to compare what they say is the right thing to do with what actually happens to the shop floor but it was we kind of started doing this late into the sop developing process so yeah. we're trying to do that interplay ourselves so you seem to be very well versed, like just as the stuff happens and you learn about it, how that impacts the culture at a broader scale. And so one, I'm very biased because you interact with a lot of my stuff on LinkedIn and I absolutely love it. So I assume you had some very unique experiences where you've got to learn about maybe a less than ideal culture from your superiors. Of course, I've had a lot of less than ideal experiences. Uh, I first worked at uh, at a big brewing company. Let's not, not let's not name it. Uh, we had um, a really young team. We were all leaders in area um, around or under thirty years old. Everyone, and I learned a lot about lean manufacturing there because they have a, a really nice uh, system of they call it TPM. Uh, so they have a real really cool system, and I was like really engaged with the system. 
but when wrestles started to go wrong, my my boss started to try and throw us under the bus, literally almost. So uh, it was like a like a shock, like a shock, shocking experience, like how the leadership behaves quite differently from from what is expected and from what the values of the company can be. I learned a lot about work culture, but I, I worked a lot about lean manufacturing and all the, this process about the psychology of, of, of the of the workplace, but also the 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 incongruencies sometimes from, from bad leaders and how it affects yeah. the Imagine the difficult box I paint myself in where I try to take that exact thing and make it fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and, and it's really funny. <laughs> Most times it is really funny because I oh, I, I see your, your post and I say, hey, I leave that. I leave that exactly, that exact same thing. Well, Octavio, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking with you about your journey um, as a chemical engineer for a candy manufacturer, large one that exports internationally, um, and your experience with uh, managing change uh, through new equipment, uh, standard operating procedures, and documenting that. Uh, it's been a valuable learning experience for me. I'm sure that our uh, friends out there in YouTube land will also appreciate uh, your input. So. How should folks get a hold of you if they want to talk to Octavio? Well, right now, you can find me in LinkedIn. Uh, my link is uh, Food Industry, Lean Food Industry is my link in LinkedIn. Good deal. Well, it's a pleasure for me. Thank you very much for joining us today. For all of us here at Equality Podcast, thank you to everybody out there. Bye now. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure.